But he is on the outside looking in. So everything that we see is in time for us is some, uh, some sort of linear progression of measurement. We see something from a starting point and we see it progressing. God is looking outside and seeing the full picture because he doesn't exist in time. Time is something he created. You understand that's how he functions in the universe is that it's just like the architect. You don't see the architect inside or as a part of the building. You see his work, but the architect is separate from the building. So everything that we know is the building and the architect or God is separate from the building. So what I'm trying to say to you is I I love to watch uh, debates between Christians and atheists and so many times the atheists are trying to understand God in terms that we understand. I can't explain him. I don't know how he knows what's going to happen before it happens because to him, when he's separate from time, it's already happened. I don't understand that because I'm bound by time. But you see, the difference is if there is a God that we can fully comprehend, he is not God. Understand that. If there is a God that we can explain every detail of who he is and how it functions and how it happens, he is not God. So the God that we serve is that far beyond us. We're not ever going to be fully able to comprehend him outside of what he reveals about himself. And that is what we have in the word of God, that he is that far beyond us, but he has chosen to reveal his mind in some measure to us as humans so that we may be able to relate to him in his holiness, in his eternal nature, in all that he is, he has given us what we need to be able to relate to him. So we have to understand that as Christians is, first of all, that you, you're not going to be able to give an answer to every single person of every detail of who God is, because we don't know. And I'm perfectly comfortable saying, I don't know. Because if I'm going to serve a God, he's going to be a God that I don't understand, not a God that I can explain. So that's one thing that we have to understand first as believers in Christ is the eternal nature of God. But what we can't separate ourselves from in understanding God that way is that him being that far beyond us or other than us demands something of us. It demands that we give him attention. It demands that we try to understand things in light of who he is. It demands that truth is established in him. It demands that life is established in him. If he is the foundation of time, if he is eternal, and he is the one who said time will begin to exist now, separate from him, if he is the one that that controls all of those things, and all of those things are under him as the architect, then the creation is subject to him. So we have to understand as believers that God is other than me. He is holy. He is eternal. All of these things. And as his creation that dwells in his creation, it is my responsibility then to understand who he is and how I am to relate to him. I I need to understand, get a perspective on myself in light of who he is. You see, the first thing that we have to pursue as believers is a proper understanding of of how different God is than us. And I know I said we can't fully comprehend that, but we have to pursue an understanding of what God has revealed about about himself. And as we do that, then I can begin to understand myself in light of who he is. You see, what all this comes down to is 
the, the things that we talk about in church, we talk about salvation, we talk about mercy, we talk about grace, all of these things. You understand that salvation, mercy, grace, those things will always be cheap to us if we don't understand who God is and then who I am in light of who he is. If we don't understand those two things, then the salvation and mercy that is extended to me on a daily basis, I will always just walk around trampling all over it because I am serving myself. Because I am God. And I serve myself. But you see, if I understand Him as the Eternal One, if I understand Him as the source of life, as the source of time, Him as the one who has established the earth, Him as the source of truth, the foundation of truth itself, all of those things founded on God, then I understand that I am not the one who truth comes from. I am not the one who hope comes from. I am not the one who life comes from. Nothing comes from me. What do, you, what, do you, what do we have when we understand God in that way? We have nothing. We have nothing to bring before Him. We understand the holiness of God. I have nothing to bring before Him. And see, that's where Moses goes after he talks about then the eternality of God and the power of God, all that He is. Then he goes on, uh, starting in verse 5 in Psalm 90. He says, You sweep men away. In the sleep of death, they are like new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So Moses had a clear picture then of his nature and position in relation to who God is and how far beyond us God is. Uh, So... He understood the nature of life. And and this is something that, you know, so many people think, uh, for the most part, we get up every day and just think that we have another day. Not many of us get up in the morning and think about the fact that my life could end today or that my life is passing by so quickly. I mean, we get to certain points in our life where we get a perspective and it makes us think about how quickly things pass by. That comes up from time to time. But for the most part, most of us are busy enough that we don't ever really think about the nature of life and how quickly it passes by. Now consider how many times we see uh, you know, somebody born into this world and, and they're a healthy young baby and then they grow up and they're strong and maybe active and they do sports and all of these things and they work a physical job where they do a lot of things and that require strength and power and all those things. Uh, but what happens? After a few years of life, then that they hit the peak of that and they start to go down on the other side of it. They start to lose strength. And parts of their body start to hurt that never hurt before. And what happens? They go a little farther and maybe somebody has to start taking care of them. And some people live long enough that they get to the point where people have to do everything for them. What is that? The, the, the strength that they had when they were 30 or 40 years old, and they get to the point where everybody has, somebody has to do everything for them. This is the nature of life. This is what it is. This is what we're talking about. Is the, the, He's talking about the grass that springs up, and it's so healthy, and by evening, or the next day, it is, it is gone. It is, it is withered. That's what we're talking about. The life is like, like the grass that shoots up. You think about it in terms of, uh, I'm sure we all love mowing grass, right? You mow the grass and what happens? It springs up. 
But in the summer, four or five days later, what do you do? You go cut it all off, and it's gone. And then something else starts to grow up. But that is what we're talking about in the nature of life. We have to gain a perspective on life. God is eternal. God is eternal. He is beyond us, and we are but this this small step in in time. We are this grass that grows up for a moment, and then it's gone. That is the nature of our life. But the nature of our life in relation to him, we have to understand how frail we are. That's what Moses is saying here. He's bringing out the frailty, the the temporal nature of man. And even consider all the times that we see, you know, even uh, maybe it's a big city or something, and and, uh, then some... A hurricane comes or, or something comes and levels it and there's nothing that exists. What we're, we're talking about, man has these places and things that we do where we think we are establishing something. And we go, out, we go on about life like this is just always going to be. And then something happens and it humbles man by destroying everything that we have built up. What that is illustrating is that the greatest power of man, the greatest minds of man to to engineer a building or whatever it is, it means nothing in light of eternity. It's all going to pass away. In light of who God is, the the greatest mind of man, the greatest strength of man, it's meaningless. It means nothing. It just lasts for a few moments. It's like the grass that comes up and then it withers. That's what we are talking about. That's what Moses is bringing out here. He also really brings out and reveals the nature of the human heart. In verse 8, he says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. You understand also that salvation and mercy and the grace of God becomes valuable to us when we understand that God sees everything that you've ever done. He sees everything in your heart. All the things that you don't want anybody else to ever know. He sees every one of those things in great detail. It is fully transparent before him. Everything that you've ever said, everything you've thought, everything you've done is fully transparent before God. You see, that's when salvation becomes valuable to us. Because I understand there's nothing in me. There is nothing in my heart that I can ever bring before God that is worthy of Him, that merits His presence. There is nothing. But we see that in the presence of God, when we truly understand God and we have an encounter with God uh, according to who He actually is, that reveals the nature of our hearts. You see this in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see what was happening in that moment 
is Isaiah in the presence of God, seeing God as he is, seeing the true nature of God. I'm not talking about us trying to have some emotional experience based on our conception of God. I'm talking about being in the presence of God, seeing him as he is. It reveals the nature of my heart. It will immediately tell you that I have nothing to offer. As I said last week, that when we come to the cross, our pockets are empty. I have nothing. I can't buy my salvation. I can't work hard enough. And when you see God as he is, you will understand that. That I can't work to be good enough. And that's what Isaiah is doing here. He sees God as he is, and he immediately sees the nature of his heart and how helpless he is, how spiritually broke he is. But you see, God never leaves us in that place. And that's where we understand salvation to be valuable beyond what we can even imagine. I understand God as he is. God reveals the nature of my heart then and my poverty But then we understand that God always has provided a way for man to be restored to communion with him, for man to be at peace with him. In that same passage where Isaiah says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have seen God as he is. I see my heart. But then it says that one of the seraphs went and took a coal off of the altar and went and touched his lips and said that he was made holy in that moment. God made a way for Isaiah to be at peace and to come to peace in God as God cleansed what was going on in his heart. And you see, that is the freedom that comes when we understand our nature. We're not talking about people who just sit around all the time and talk about how miserable and poor we are. As the Bible says in Revelation, it said that they thought they were rich, but they were really wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We're not talking about us just sitting around as church always talking about how wretched we are. We need to understand that, but then I value and I have joy in the salvation of God that has brought me out of that place of a pitiful existence, of being a wretch. He's brought me out of that and raised me up to be a kingdom and a priest in him, to be his chosen people. And I have joy in the freedom that comes from acknowledging my nature. You see, that's important because too many times today we have excuses for all the things that are contained within our hearts. We have excuses for anger that comes out. We have excuses for pride that comes out. We have excuses for the things that we laugh at, the things that we take in. We have excuses for everything. You see, there is freedom in letting go of the things that my human nature desires to take part in. There is freedom in that. That, That's what all of this is about. You understand that salvation wasn't just a matter of us going to heaven so we could worship God, so we could sing songs to him or whatever we see in the book of Revelation. That's that's not what this is about. What salvation is about me being restored to communion and fellowship with God. Because we didn't have that. That was lost. I lost my communion and fellowship. I was not at peace with God. And that's what it was restored on the cross was the opportunity for me to step into communion and fellowship and to have peace with God again. So salvation becomes valuable when we understand God's nature and the freedom that comes when I acknowledge my nature in light of who he is 
And then understand that God has always provided a way for us to step into communion with him then. I just want to quickly look at three things then we will see uh, in, our, in our spiritual lives. As we have a perspective on those things, there are three things that in Psalm 90 that we see uh, that Moses says will, will uh, happen in the people of God. Number one, he establishes the work of our hands. God is the one who brings value and purpose. He alone establishes the work of our hands to make an eternal impact. Psalm 90, verse 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Uh, So what we understand then, what he is saying, uh, he is calling for God to be the one to establish our work. And you understand that our work is meaningless without God being the one to distinguish our work. Uh, I think I've said before, but A.W. Tozer said that God can never be pleased with our work uh, if he's not pleased with our worship. So what what we are saying here then is that my goal is to worship God first and foremost. Before anything else that happens as a believer in Christ, my first and foremost priority is to worship him. I am not effective in serving in a church if I'm not first a worshiper. I'm not effective in leading my family if I'm not first a worshiper. I'm not effective. The Bible says that even our jobs, whatever job you work, it doesn't have to be in ministry, that we should do it for the glory of God. I'm not effective in doing that for the glory of God if I'm not first a worshiper. That is my first priority. Above everything else, I am a worshiper. But then we understand that out of that, God establishes whatever work you are doing. I don't care what your job you're doing. God will establish and distinguish your work when you are doing it for his glory. And you see, we can do things in this life. We can do great things according to man. As I said before, we have great architects and minds that design buildings, but eventually that is going to pass away. You see, that is a, that, that, uh, the end result of our human work God is concerned about what we're doing along the way. We're accomplishing tasks for him in the world, but along the way he is going to establish and distinguish us to accomplish his purposes along the way. If you're an architect, his goal isn't just for you to build a building. Somehow he's going to be glorified through what you are doing if you do it for him. You could be a teacher, you can work at a grocery store, whatever you're doing, the task that humans put on your job description is not the end for God. If you're doing it for his glory, he is going to distinguish you to accomplish something of eternal value. There is no job that is too small. There is no job that is meaningless. Whatever God, wherever he has placed you, he wants to do something of eternal value through through you. But you understand that your work is never going to be distinguished unless you're doing it for him. God is the one who establishes all that we do. Anything else is futility. Anything else that we do as man is meaningless because it eventually passes away. That's what Moses is saying here. God, you be the one to establish what we are doing. Because if we don't, if we're not distinguished by you, nothing means anything. It's the same as when when Moses was uh, pleading and interceding uh, on behalf of the Israelites after they had made the golden calf. I know we've talked about this over and over, but I'm going to say it again. 
he he was before God in that moment and God had relented in his anger, but he said that he wasn't going to go with them. He he told them to move forward in the land that he had promised them. But Moses said, if you don't go with us, don't send us up from here. What else is he said, what else is going to distinguish us from everybody else on the face of the earth? He knew in that moment that they could have gone up, they could have moved forward, but they didn't have anything to establish them as people, as God's people. They, they had nothing without the presence of God establishing, establishing and distinguishing them. They had no hope of, of uh, uh, protection. They had no hope of uh, victory. They had nothing without the presence of God distinguishing them and establishing them. So what we understand is that God is the one, even in our frailty, the nature of our life passing by so quickly, God is the one who distinguishes and establishes us to accomplish something of eternal value. And he will, as we commit ourselves to him, allow him to do that. The second thing is that God gives us a perspective to live here. He doesn't just leave us here to blindly uh, stumble through life. God establishes the work of our hands, and then he gives us a perspective to live here so we understand how to function here and relate to him. Uh, in verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may live with wisdom in this life that passes by in the blink of an eye. Uh, he says, Teach us to number our days. The, the word for number there, when he's saying number our days, means to weigh out, appoint or count, prepare or set. Uh, teach us to weigh out and count our days that I may gain wisdom. And what he is talking about there is us living in light of the reality that my days could end in the blink of an eye. Right now, today, any moment, the days of my life could be over. And how do I live in light of that? I value eternity. Right? If God is the source of life, if he is the, if he is the eternal one, if he has established everything under him, and if I rely on him for salvation, then that should influence every decision that I make. Because every decision that I make is preparation for the moment where I stand before him and live, in light of, and live with him in eternity, where I step outside of time and I dwell with him where he is. Everything, that, that what we're saying here is that my worldview should actually be a biblical worldview. That everything that I see around me should be interpreted in the light, in the lens of who God is and who I am in relation to him. Uh, and that may seem like a simplistic thing for Christians, especially if you've gone to the church, to church your whole life. We know these things, right? But in practice, do we know these things? In practice, when we're in a workplace or we're with somebody who irritates us, or whatever it is, do I interpret all of those situations? Do I live in light of eternity? Do I make decisions in light of eternity in those moments? Teach us to number our days. Ephesians 5 says this in verse 15. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what is foolishness? Don't be foolish, he says. What is foolishness? It's simply carelessness and attention to our spiritual life. Be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. 
He's saying that we should actually put thought into our spiritual walk. The same way as we've talked about, there are many, many people who go to gyms and they pay attention to their diet, all of these things for our physical body that we pay attention to. And I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. But too many times our spiritual life, we just leave it in our passive. We make no attempt to think through it. We make no attempt to build it up. We make no attempt to cultivate a heart that would be fertile ground for God to plant seeds and for it to grow. You see, what he's saying here, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, is that I would understand how frail my life is and that I would live in light of what actually matters. That I would pay attention to the things that are actually important in life. Uh, the third thing that we have to understand here is uh, that Moses brings out is that God is our dwelling place. If you go back to verse 1, it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. And thinking of God as the place of my home, the place where I go for comfort and peace. You see, we have to understand God as our refuge. The God is the place that I go. My first reaction isn't always just to when I face a difficult situation to to maybe you call ten people to try to figure out what you should do. I, I'm not saying there are times where people give us wisdom, but the first thing that I think we should do is pursue God because He is our refuge, our comfort, our dwelling place. He is our home, the place where we get peace. And out of that then we are able to pursue an understanding from the greater body of Christ. But what I'm saying is that our first reaction should be to look to God as our comfort. Our first reaction in all things should be to look to God as we would look at our home. You know the place maybe you travel a lot sometimes and you just want to be at home. Or how many times you said, I just can't wait to sleep in my own bed. See, that's what we're talking about. Is God being our first reaction, the place that we go to find peace and rest and comfort to find sustaining power for everything that we do in life. The Bible says in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. You understand that even as we walk here on the earth, the Bible says we walk here as strangers in this land. Our citizenship is not here. And we need to live in light of that, that my citizenship is in the place where God dwells. Colossians 3 says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what we are saying here is that God is our dwelling place, that my mind now, he says, that my life is hidden with Christ in God. Right now, as I walk this earth, my dwelling should be in the place where God dwells because my life is hidden in that place. I understand that I physically reside here right now. I understand that I interact with the world around me, but my that's what he's saying is my life should be so hidden in the place where God dwells in Christ 
Again, that it influences every decision that I make. All of my interactions flow out of my life being hidden in the place where God dwells. So what we're saying here is the worship team comes up and we close this morning. What we are saying, you know, we can we can spend our whole lives coming and, and sitting and hearing. We can hear about the nature of God. We can be given knowledge about all of those things over and over. You can hear that the rest of your life. You understand, that will never mean anything until we actually come to the place, come to the end of ourselves and understand that I, I have nothing in myself. I have no power. I have nothing. We understand God truly in, in light of who He is, what the Word of God says. How do I live in light of this? God is eternal. He is holy. All of these things. What does that mean for me? What does that mean when I go to work? What does that mean for how I interact with my kids or my parents or whoever it is, whatever family member? How does that, what does that mean for how I interact with my friends? What does this mean? You see, we never get to the point sometimes of asking those questions. What does this mean in everything that I do? God is eternal and I am nothing. But I have salvation in Christ, so what does that mean for me right now today? The things I'm struggling with, the things that, that, the things that I love, the things that I enjoy, the things I spend money on, the things that I laugh at, what does it mean for those things? You see, those are the things that we have to analyze to understand where we are spiritually. God's not going to force himself in your life. I can't remember all of them. This is the last thing I'll say, but A.W. Tozer talked about he had, uh, I think it was like seven rules for self-discovery. And it was uh, like what we spend money on, what we laugh at, who we spend time with, all of those kind of things. When you look at those things, you will understand where your heart actually is. Because your words and my words most of the time are meaningless. We can recite all the things that we know about Christianity, most of us have been around it all long enough that we know the right answers. I can tell you everything you want to hear about it, but what, what does it mean for me? What is Christianity? I can tell you what it is if you look at my life, how money is spent, what we laugh at, all those things. That will tell you. That will tell you where we're at spiritually. So in these moments as we close today, if you have a need, something you need to pray about, you can come over here and you can pray by yourself. Uh, nobody will come to pray with you. If you want to pray with somebody, you can come over here. Uh, but in these moments, forget forget all the Christian things that, that you, all the theological things that we've been told over and over through life. If you, if you claim salvation, if we have been walking with God, what are the things that you spend money on, you laugh at? What are the things that we uh, uh, make decisions based on? Analyze those kind of things. Try to understand, am I truly living in light of who God is? And do I value salvation in light of that? Do I understand that God is the one who establishes my work? Do I understand that he is my dwelling place? All of those things. As we close today, will you pray and ask God to search you and help you to understand where you're at with those things? God, we thank you again this morning for the opportunity to look into your word.
to be in your presence and to understand that your word has power to reveal our nature. Your word has power to to, uh, reveal to us truly how you are, who you are, your nature, your characteristics, all that you are, how far beyond us you are. Father, help us to understand those things today. And in light of that, that we would value the salvation that you have uh, given to us through Christ. Father, help us to seek you as the one who establishes our work. Help help us to seek you as the, the, the one in whom we dwell. Father, we love you today. Be glorified in us. It's your name we pray. Amen.